Well, we're continuing our series this morning on the heart of the matter. And if you missed any of the messages, of course, as we heard in the announcements, you can visit our YouTube channel and watch them there, or you can find them if you want to listen to a podcast of the message on Spotify or any other podcast platform. Just search for Grace Church Fam, and our series should all pop up. So we've been talking about the heart of the matter, and of course, from that short video intro that you just saw, you can see that the focus of our series has been looking at this topic of money and possessions, all the stuff that we own. But as the title of our series implies, it's not so much the actual money and the stuff that we're focusing on, but rather it's our heart attitude towards these things. Because as Louis reminded us last week, money and possessions has incredible power over our lives. Do you agree with that? Now, if you're visiting with us today or new to Grace, uh, let me just give a quick disclaimer. We are not a church who is just interested in your money. That's not why we're talking about this topic. Rather, our church family wants to understand what the Bible teaches about money so that we can use our money in a way that brings honor and glory to God. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about money and possessions. In fact, money and wealth were a topic that Jesus talks about frequently. If you Google the stats, you'll see that 16 of Jesus' 38 parables deal with wealth and the things that we own. In the Gospels, around one out of every 10 verses, 10% of the Gospels in, in those accounts that Jesus is teaching, he deals with money and possessions. In fact, there are more Bible verses about money and property than almost any other topic. Consider, example, the verses about faith and prayer. Combined, there's about a thousand verses, but when you think about money, wealth, and possessions, there's over 2,300 verses. Do you think that how we handle our money was important to Jesus? Obviously. Now, why do you think that is, though? Well, it's because Jesus is always interested in the condition of our heart. And he knows that how we use our money and our possessions is a really good indicator of what our hearts are focused on. And, and that's why our series is not titled What the Bible Says About Money. Our series is titled The Heart of the Matter. And it's our prayer that this, this series has made you stop and think about what is motivating you in the way that you use your resources, your money, your possessions. Jesus knew that this is a heart issue. And that's why in one of his greatest sermons, the Sermon on the Mount that we went through a couple of years ago, in Matthew 6, 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, Jesus said. You see, that word that is translated money there in the Greek, it's mammon. Louis mentioned that, and, and it means more than just money. It's all of our stuff. So how do we give up money's control on our lives? Well, that's what we've been trying to show through what the Bible teaches over in this series. 
Recall we've already been learning over the past couple weeks, first of all, about stewardship. Stewardship is that term the Bible uses to describe our responsibility with all the resources that God has given us. And recall that in that first message we learned that God owns everything. And our responsibility then as a steward is to manage the things that God has entrusted to us and to do that responsibly. And since the Bible is clear that God owns everything, that that means that God owns all of my stuff and all of your stuff, your investments, your bank accounts, your house, your cars, your toys and your tools and every other gadget. It all belongs to God, and he gives us the privilege of managing it for his purposes, his glory, to further his kingdom. I guess the question is, do we get that? Do we actually live that way? Are we living and using our resources, all the stuff we have, recognizing that it belongs to God and willingly being ready to offer it to Him whenever He asks us to use it for His purposes? Or do we act like it's all our stuff? To be used for our benefit, to be used for our comfort? Well, maybe, maybe I'll just give a little bit back to God again, you know, like a, a little token of appreciation because it's my hard-earned money. Is that our attitude? Then we looked at last week, we looked at this issue of debt and how living beyond our means creates a situation where we actually surrender control of our lives to someone else. We no longer turn to God to provide for our needs, but we spend beyond our means to the point where we're focused on what Others, what we owe others, and so we, our lives are under the control of others, those that lend to us, the banks, credit card companies, lenders, to the point where we actually need to rely on those things to meet our everyday needs. You see, God wants us to trust in Him for our daily needs, not our credit cards, not our lines of credit. God wants to be the one directing our lives leading us to then serve him in his kingdom. But if we're caught up in debt, we lose control of our time and our energy because now suddenly we need to work longer hours to pay off that debt. We need to put in more overtime. We need to work the weekends and we become unavailable. We become limited in what we have left to be used for God's kingdom. Stewardship and debt the first two topics in our series. Today we move on in our series to another important question that again points to the heart of the matter when it comes to money and stuff. And that's this question. How much is enough? John D. Rockefeller, the famous billionaire, was once asked, how much money does it take to make a man happy? His reply, just one more dollar. How about you here this morning or, or you watching on the live stream this morning? How much is enough for you? Well, one of the authors of the New Testament, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul teaches us a very important principle regarding this question. Let's look at what he wrote 
If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. It will be up on the screen, but if you have a Bible or you can look it up on your phone, it's great to follow along. And we'll be referring to this passage throughout the message. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 through 10. This is what Paul writes. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. Can you advance that, uh, Val? My clicker doesn't seem to be working here. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word again. And God, as we've learned, your Your word speaks so much about this topic of money and wealth and possessions, Lord, and yet we know that it's more than just those things that, God, you're interested in our heart. And so, God, help us to learn today about what it means to have enough, to be satisfied. Open our hearts to hear from you again today, God, as we open your word, as we dig into your word today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here in our text, the Apostle Paul gives us this key principle about this question that points to the heart of the matter. How much is enough? Well, look at what Paul says right there in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. That's Paul's answer to the heart of the matter question. If you think you don't have enough, here's what Paul says. Learn to be content with what you already have. Now let's first answer this question. What is contentment? If you turn to dictionary.com online, to be content means to be satisfied with what one is or has, not wanting more or anything else. And Merriam-Webster's website says contentment means feeling or showing satisfaction with one's possessions, status, or situation. So to be content essentially means then that I feel like I have everything that I need. Now I want you to be honest with you. How many of you are there? How many of us would honestly say, yes, I have everything I need? And that highlights the issue, doesn't it? Do we ever feel like we have everything we need? We may say we do, but our spending, the way that we use our resources, often tells a different story, doesn't it? Paul talks about this in our text. Let's start at the end of the text in verse 10 and work our way backwards. Paul identifies the true issue, the true heart of the matter in verse 10. Look at what he says. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Louis actually referenced this verse in a, a few times in our series because there is a misconception even amongst Christians that the Bible teaches that money is evil. Here in our text we see clearly that's not what the Bible says. 
Is money evil? No. It is what is evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. That phrase there, the love of money, it's a single word in the original Greek language that carries this sense of extreme greed for material wealth. You see, in the context of this passage, if you look earlier in chapter 6, you'll see that Paul was criticizing false teachers who were trying to manipulate people through their teaching to obtain financial gain. Their greed for money, that was their motive for their godliness. And we have many examples of that, of course, today. Just turn on the television. And you can watch televangelists who will sell you all kinds of wonderful things promising healing and health and happiness and prosperity in your life. But Paul says, no, true godliness is characterized by what? By contentment. Being content is the key to overcoming that sin of greed and allowing, that allows money then to take control of our lives. You see, this is where it becomes a heart issue. And it ties back to our first two messages in this series. The love of money, you see, distorts our understanding of stewardship because we don't accept the fact that God owns everything. And he calls us then to manage his stuff responsibly. The love of money also leads us to live as slaves to debt because we willingly spend more than we take in and we use then debt as a way to get more and more the things that we think will make us happy and feel satisfied. Here's the biblical truth behind what Paul is talking about here in our text You see, God created every one of us in his image. And he created us to always have a need in our hearts, a void, if you will, that needs to be filled. But the only thing that will ever fill that void is him. That's the only solution to satisfy this this lacking that we feel, this this void in our lives, is to fill our lives with Jesus. He alone is enough. And that's our first point here this morning. God created us with a need in our hearts that can never be filled with anything but himself. You see, only God can satisfy our deepest need for purpose and to begin using unethical practices in order for them to succeed more in their business. This is the ruin and the destruction. This is the griefs that pierce us that Paul talks about, those who desire riches and love money. You see, contentment comes when my love, my My desires move away from money and stuff and moves me towards God. And so when it comes to the heart of the matter, we will never have enough to satisfy that void inside of us. We will never have true contentment until we accept that only Jesus can feel that emptiness in our lives. If you've never experienced that, you're here today or those watching online, if you've never experienced that, let me just encourage you 
Sign up for one of our next step classes. Step into faith. Talks all about our relationship with Jesus, how we can become a follower of him and what that means. Anna has a tattoo. It says, Jesus is enough. And she puts it on the inside of her wrist that every time she's turning her hand, she's reminded that Jesus is enough to satisfy all of our needs. So we've talked about what to avoid in order to be content. Avoid greed, avoid pursuing money and financial gains as a means of somehow gaining happiness in life. Let's look at what our text says now about the the practice of contentment. Look at verse 7. Paul says, For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And this is our second point this morning. Contentment comes from changing our perspective from this life, our life here on earth, and looking ahead to eternity, to our life in heaven with Jesus. Paul reminds us that we were born with nothing, and when we die, we can't take any of it it with us. So why do we spend so much time and energy focusing on this life? Jesus taught us this principle again in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. Verse 19 and 21, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus talking about the heart of the matter. Jesus says, focus on heaven. Store up treasures that have value in God's eyes. Paul reinforces this principle in 2 Corinthians 4.18 where he says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You see, when we can... Learn to be content with what God has given us. We stop, stop focusing on stockpiling stuff here on earth. Those things that we think will make our lives more comfortable. We think will bring happiness to us. Paul says in our text, do you have food? Do you have clothing? And that word, that word clothing includes all kinds of covering, including a shelter. So Paul says, do you have food, clothing, and a roof over your head? Then you're set. Now you can focus on doing God's kingdom work. So how contentment, see how contentment now actually frees up our time and our energy. Time and energy that we often waste pursuing earthly treasures that we can't take with us anyway. Contentment changes our perspective so that we can begin to focus on using what God has given us, use the things that he has blessed us with to what? To bless others. To further his kingdom through the ministry of his church. To share the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the hope we have in Jesus, sharing it with people who do not know Jesus yet. Paul modeled a life of contentment. He teaches us that contentment can actually change our entire perspective on life. 
Contentment, Paul says, leads us to be thankful for what we have rather than be disappointed with what we don't have. And that's our third point here this morning. Contentment leads us to a heart of gratitude for what we have rather than disappointment for what we don't have. Learning to be content leads us from a life of disappointment and a life of ingratitude where I'm never satisfied with what I have. And it leads us to a life of gratitude where I give thanks to God for everything I have. Paul speaks about this in Philippians chapter 4. He begins that familiar passage in verse 6 and 7. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with what? Thanksgiving. Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul was thankful. He was a grateful man. Paul teaches us not to be anxious about anything. And that includes being anxious about our money, about our finances, about the stuff we have. But rather, we are to present all our needs to the Lord in prayer, Paul says. And how? With thanksgiving. And when we can turn over all of our anxieties to God with thanksgiving, Paul says he promises to give us peace. An incredible peace. A peace that only can come from God because it's a peace that passes all of our understanding. And what did that attitude of thankfulness and gratitude, what did that lead Paul to be like in his life? What was his attitude? Well, look a little further on in the chapter. In verse 11, Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him, that's Christ, who gives me strength. You see, Paul had experienced it all. He had great plenty at times in his ministry, but he also had great want and need. So much so that he had no, not enough resources to put food on the table. But, he says, I have learned the secret of being content. And what is that secret that he learned? It was his relationship with Jesus. I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength, he says. Paul presented all his anxieties to God and he was thankful for what he did have, even when it was barely anything. And with that attitude, he experienced God's incredible peace because he found that all his needs were met and he found strength to endure everything he went through because of his relationship with Jesus. You know, one of the greatest hindrances to a life of gratitude and contentment is when we start comparing ourselves to others. We see the stuff others have and we somehow feel like we deserve it too. 
Well, contentment and gratitude comes from trusting that God knows what you need and then accepting the blessings he gives you with gratitude. You know, there's a great example of this in the Old Testament. Let me end with this illustration. God called a man named Abraham to leave his family, leave his wealth, leave his comforts, all his possessions. He took all his possessions with him, but to leave his family and his family business behind, to go to a new land that God said that he would give him. God said that this land would be a place that he would have all of his descendants own. When Abraham finally got to this promised land, a conflict arose between Abraham's servants and the servants of his nephew Lot because there wasn't enough pasture land for their huge flocks. So Abraham said we should move apart so that we can actually find more pasture for each of us to have enough. And even though God had promised that this land would be Abraham's, Abraham gave his nephew Lot the first choice of where to settle. And Lot looked over the land and he saw this beautiful, lush, well-watered valley, the Jordan Valley, and decided that's the spot that I'm going to go because I am sure that I'll do well there. I always wondered why Abraham never just like balked at that point in time. Wait a minute. God promised me the land. You're not going to get all the good stuff. But no. Abraham was content with what he was left with. Why? Because he recognized that God would provide everything he needed just as he had promised. Even if he didn't have the best part of the land for himself. And what did Lot's greed lead to? Ruin and destruction. And a heart pierced with sorrow. He lost his home. He lost his wife. All because of his desire for the best. So let's get back to the heart of the matter. How much is enough for you? Let's not waste our life striving for more stuff, more money, more possessions, focusing on earthly things that are just temporary. Let's not fall into the trap of the love of money. Let's not desire more money. Let's desire more of Jesus, focusing on the things that have eternal value. Let's learn to be content with what we have been blessed with so that we can use our time and our talent and our treasure to share with others in need, to show others the love of Jesus, and to lead others to discover how Jesus is the only one who will ever be enough to satisfy our deepest needs. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, again, this time in your word and the reminder, God, that you, you are enough. You sent your son, the Lord Jesus, and he took our place by dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And, and then he offers us forgiveness through a relationship with him when we put our faith and trust in him, God. And that's enough. 
We do want to be grateful people, God. I thank you for everything you have blessed me with. I thank you for everything you have blessed our church with. For each person here, God, may we recognize that everything we have, it belongs to you and you give it to us so that we can steward it, we can manage it, to use by you to further your purposes. God, help us to not cling to it as if it were our own. God, help us to be content with what you have given to us. And then help us to use these things to further your kingdom, to bring glory to you, to lead others to come to know Jesus so that he too can be their satisfied hearts. God, thank you for this time in your word, we pray, and give this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.